You're listening to Simply Stogies, a podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back, relax, while James brings you along on his cigar journey. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, sit down with guests from across the industry, and we'll probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. Uh, we're gonna we're back now. It has been I know it's been a month since we've done this, but welcome back, Nicholas Cirrus, uh, owner, blender, uh, LH Cigars, Cuban expert. Nick, welcome back to the program. Thank you, James. Always a pleasure, and I, you know, I'm here to talk Cuba and Cuban cigars. It's been a minute. Uh, I was busy at the trade show. Everybody can go check the, all of the, our coverage out over on, on the website, uh, simplystogies.com uh, uh, or rumble.com. Um, but you've been busy as well. So this is the first time that we've really had a chance to kind of catch up. And so we've had literally like almost a 45 minute conversation offline about just about everything. But like, let's catch up here on the show. How have you been, Nick? I've been great. Um, you know, join the summer in Jersey, the extreme heat, um, <laughs> the humidity, the humidity, well, you know, the humidity is here, but not as bad as Florida. Uh, I prefer heat over cold, which is exact opposite of my wife and, and most people that I know, but I'd rather be hot than cold. That's why I would rather be in Florida than New Jersey, but here I am living in New Jersey still. <laughs> I would rather be hot than cold too. I don't know. Maybe we're just the outliers. Like, why does everybody else want to be cold? That's the logic of most people is that if it's cold, you can always put more jackets or, you know, dress accordingly or put on the heat. But when it's I mean, you know, put the heat on. But when it's like hot outside, at least there's nothing you can do except be naked, I guess, you know, so and then still I understand the logic, but I think my body just prefers warmth more than cold just yeah. Like, yeah no fun fact i'm not wearing pants right now uh but we're gonna, okay, we're gonna too much information <laughs> we're gonna get into uh the soil uh in cuba what makes cuban cigars special the farms uh in cuba we're, we're gonna get to that we're also gonna get to some cuban news but before we do i want to tell our listeners something very exciting if you listened to the last podcast last month on the 15th you heard that it was with uh, Janice Coffee Roasters, Shad and Shay Bates from Janice Coffee Roasters. And we are excited. We are humbled and honored that we have a coffee blend with them. It's the Simply Stogies Podcast Coffee Blend. It's a three-bean dark roast that is full bodies. Uh, has notes of earth, nuts, cocoa, and hints of caramel. The blend and roast has a relatively low acidity and can be enjoyed no matter your brewing choice. Cold brew, it'll work. Drip, it'll work. French press, that's the way I like it. It will work, and it is delicious, I promise. Unbiased review here, it's a 10. Go to JaniceCoffeeRoasters.com and just type simply in the search bar. It'll come right up, or go to the show notes, and there will be a link to buy it. $15 for a 12-ounce uh, bag, and you can get that in whole bean or already pre-ground. And if so, if you so choose, you can also get a $30 uh, bag. It's a two-pound bag, uh, and uh, that might be the way to go for only $30. JaniceCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, in the search bar, put in the word simply. Give it a shot. I promise you won't, will not be disappointed. It's a 10, baby. I wouldn't lie. It's unbiased. Nick, how do you like your coffee? 
espressos, only espresso. I drink espresso and I was thinking, you know, I didn't want to like bust bust on you, but unbiased, but your name is on it. Uh, isn't that the definition of bias? But anyway, I'm why sure it's good. Te- I'm why sure it's tell good. The people that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've gotten into a tradition and a ritual that I've started. Again, everything it seems that I do is because of Cuba. And I st- I never drank coffee uh, my whole life. I mean, I was a cop for God's sakes, and I didn't drink coffee as a cop. And I took a lot of ribbing for that. Um but now I drink my daily espresso in the morning. Um, I love it. It's part of what I do. And um, you know, my next step is to actually, um, you know, actually uh, grind the beans and do all the other great stuff for my own espresso. So where, where, where do you get the espresso? Do you make it yourself? Yeah. Well, you know, when I, we're going to get into this. Some people <laughs> would say I don't really drink espresso because I'm still in the pod stage. Ah. You know, ah, Nespresso. Right. But you know what? <laughs> I, I did a lot of research. And other than, than spending $150 for a basic machine, the, the next step is you have to get into the at least $1,000 range or higher. Oh, yeah. And it's not even for me the money of it. It's like I love the ritual of what I have to do now. But to do that ritual, which is like grind the beans, you know, yeah, you and, gotta and, become uh, a clean, uh, and I think it's cool, but I just... I don't want it to be another. I want to make sure because I've only been doing this for about a year that it's going to be a hobby that I really, really, and I'm into it. I've done a lot of research with my little Mickey Mouse, you know, Nespresso machine. But a lot of people say, "Oh, it's not really an, an espresso." I yeah, mean, but it's if not you really like an espresso. It, who cares? But I do like it. But well, there you go. I have to say, there's there's this product that's coming out that's going to be the ideal thing for me. Um, this guy, I refuse to participate in any more um of these kickstarter things because i've gotten burned so many times (laughs) but uh, i'll wait for it to come out and i'll spend double i don't care this way i know i won't get burned but this guy's coming out with this perfect product which is you put the beans in there it automatically grinds them it puts it in a pod automatically and then you take and you put the pot so you can basically get your own beans and make your own pod style espresso and it, and it makes the different pods for everything so i can't huh. wait for that because that may be my transition into the next step well there you of- go it's like i see i'm a basic coffee bitch like that's just me i i don't want too much monkey business in the morning like and i found that like the the level of monkey business that i am willing to go through in the morning is french press like i will grind the bean in the burr grinder like i've upgraded to a burr grinder mm. uh, yes, and sir. i will I'll do that. I'll do the, you know, boil the the water and, and Shad's taught me a lot. And if you listen to the last episode, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny because I'm an idiot when it comes to coffee. So I was burning the, uh, I was burning the grounds and all kinds of shit. And I was like, why does this taste like shit? Shad's like, stop burning your coffee, asshole. I'm like, oh, well, that'll probably do it. I love everything about it. I bought books on, on uh, espresso and coffee in general. I just, I like espresso, but I just don't like like American coffee, like a cup of coffee. Never had it. Never will. I just I don't I shouldn't say never will. I because I I used to say I never would smoke, uh, would drink coffee, you know, espresso. But for me, I started drinking espresso because I, I going to Cuba everywhere you go, everybody offers you. They don't even ask. Here's your espresso. And to them, their espressos with the little mocha pots and. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I just stopped saying <laughs> no, thank you. So I used to just kind of, you know, chug it like a uh, like a shot, you know, like just throw it down. And after doing it several hundred times over so many months, I go, you know what? I've kind of gotten used to it. And then I actually say, hey, you know, let me try this 
in the US. So I would go to a place and I would actually order an espresso. And I started getting into it. And then I, you know, ventured into looking at doing it myself. And that's where I got the machine. And I like it. I'm actually at the point where I really like it. The next time we hang out, I'm making you a cup of coffee uh, from from ours, and you can drink that. And then you cup can tell of coffee me coffee or an espresso. I don't. I can't make an espresso. You're lucky. I can spell and pronounce espresso. Uh, so I will. I will make you a, a basic fucking cup. All of, right, I'll taste of, it. And you I'll can taste, taste it. it. You could tell me how much of a basic coffee bitch I am, and I need to make espresso. But apparently, hey, listen. You know, when I get that machine, maybe I'll buy the beans and make my own. You know. Uh, espresso you from your beans there you, there you go. go the simply Stuggy's espresso from your unbiased beans yes. the unbiased it's a 10 it's a 10 yes. i promise uh, it's okay. a 10 completely unbiased that's the joke that's the joke right it's my name on it but it's unbiased well you, when you have your own not. cigar with your name on it i'm sure that'll be a 10 plus plus too <laughs> i don't know if i will ever do that but let's talk never about say never <laughs> let's talk about cigars nick there's a lot mm-hmm. of there's there's a couple things in the news about cuba so what do you got for us before we get into the soil and the farms and, and the differences between the cigars? Well, so we don't make this podcast, you know, three hours is, uh, instead of one hour. We're going to try to keep this one short and sweet. There's a few things in the news on Cuba since we last spoke. Obviously, the most um, recent and, and tragic is the fire that happened due to a uh, a lightning strike, which is really, really sad. And uh, lots of people died and all I have to report about it is that it's still going strong. People from Venezuela and, and Mexico have joined in on the fight. Uh, lots of firefighters gone missing, uh, lots of injured people, mm. and uh, they've evacuated the area, and it's still going as we speak. Um, so uh, my heart reaches out to the people of Cuba and the people affected by this uh, little tragedy. Absolutely. Um, the next two items as far as news wise one is very very important because and very timely because it literally occurred two or three days ago so uh last we spoke i told people about my we had the special episode of why um i said that going to cuba right now is like the ultimate shitstorm of the trifecta of all things that could possibly go wrong in cuba happening at the same time right and and i agree and i've been watching and really really waiting for changes in things happening and one of the things that they're trying to combat one of the problems of that trifecta i was telling you about it was the the currency exchange that happened, they, among everything else that was wrong and going on in Cuba, they decided in their wisdom after, and this was something that was in the work. It wasn't something, you know, last minute thought up by, right. by the current president. This was five, six years in the works. And it was, um, you know, rumored for many years to happen. And it just, the timing couldn't have been worse, but they changed their, their uh, currency from the two system of, the one for tourists and um, what they called the convertible Cuban peso or the kook, and then the local peso. So you had two different denominations. The local peso was about twenty-four to a dollar, and then you had the the kook, which was supposed to be one for one to the U.S. dollar, but then of course you lose three three percent in the exchange, and because it was a U.S. dollar, the U.S. the uh, Cuban government penalized the dollar with a ten percent. I call the FU fee um, to the U.S. <laughs> yeah. So that was their way of recouping some of their lost incomes. Where they, they, I don't know, whatever their justification, it it just basically screwed the Americans and anybody that 
dealt with U.S. currency. So we would pay that extra 10% to go there and exchange the money. So they decided to remove the two uh, systems. They went to one. They went to 25 Cuban pesos to every dollar. And then at the same time, you have inflation that you know what's happening here in the U.S. Well, you can imagine in Cuba, it's it went crazy. And, and then you, you have the fact that they have literally the government there is in the worst financial shape they've been in. I, you know, the people of Cuba have told me that things are worse there than what we call the special period during, you know, when Cuba and, and the Russia thing went bad uh, and they had no money and it was bad over there. And I only read about it because I had never been to Cuba, you know, previous uh, to 2008. Sure. But the 90s were supposed to be like horrendous. And people there are telling me it's worse now that have lived through both. There is just wow. uh, just terrible thing. And and, and uh, what's going on is in the news. One is the currency and the other one would be the blackouts and uh, lack of power. But the currency, the big change is they say officially, and I've read different reports, but from what people have told me in Cuba, they've made. See, what was going on when I was there? I have to backtrack. You had the 24, 25 to one. But what was happening is nobody. So you literally couldn't even exchange U.S. dollars if you wanted to in Cuba at the time because they made it illegal. They were so pissed at America and everything that was going on. They decided to not deal in U.S. currency at all, not do any exchange. But yet, however, everything was based on the U.S. dollar. (laughs) Go figure. So um, you couldn't exchange dollars. But the the street level Everybody in the street, you know what they call the black market there, wanted U.S. dollars. So you could, and get this, you could get a hundred, and this was the going rate. You didn't have to know anybody. You could just, anybody you wanted, if you trusted them, you could get a hundred pesos for a dollar. So that was four times the the rate. So all of a sudden things that were like eight times more expensive or at least six, seven times more expensive wasn't so expensive if you were getting the street rate. However, the cab drivers and everybody, everybody other than the Cuban government places wouldn't even take that. They even though the official rate was twenty five to one, the street rate was the official rate. So it was literally a hundred to one. Wow. So, so that made things much more expensive. So eventually, the government there figured out, okay, since the official fixed rate of twenty four isn't going to work. They've established it now at 110. I've heard reports of 120 to the dollar, but the official rate, I believe, is 110. So they made it basically what the what the black market rate was, which is so funny. You know, but I just find the it black just, market rate move now. Not really, not really. So? It may, it may a little bit, not much, not much. I, it depends on if the uh, the 10 percent currency uh fee is still there like the exchange fee if that's there i'll find out because i'll be there next month so that's the new rate and hopefully that is going to help um mainly the private sector you know so we'll see because the private sector is the one that receives the you know the firm the foreign currency right. from the tourists and uh we'll see what happens you know they've they've said 120 but i think immediately they were talking at 110 so that's big time news and that literally happened last Tuesday. So like, you know, pretty much one week ago. Um, So that's big news. The other thing I wanted to mention is we didn't talk about it before. Um, During the changes, some of the changes that happened with the Biden administration repealing or, or, 
rolling back a lot of the uh, the Trump changes. One of the big things that was done was that he allowed, and, and we didn't really address it too much on the last episode, and I don't want to go into it that much now, but what I want to say about it is that um, <laughs> here's the funny thing. Okay, so the U.S. government or the Biden administration, you know, they roll, like I said, they rolled back all these um, these restrictions. But one of the new ones, and they've actually pushed it further than even the Trump administration was, is the ability to allow an authorized U.S. licensee to be able to finance and even invest directly in private small businesses in Cuba. Now, it, to me, it's like, what? Are you crazy? Uh, if you look, and here's the reason for that. There's been a lot of articles written out there, the, you know, the folly of investing in Cuba. And I have to agree. And this is like, you know, Cuba's on a big push. They're, they're doing anything to try to get more money into the country. And of course, one is allowing more investment. Uh, it's always been possible for uh, other countries or persons or private companies to invest in Cuba. But to me, it's always been like, who in their right mind would want to do that? Because all the ones that I've seen in the past, here's basically in a nutshell, you as the investor or the foreign you know, private entity or company or country, you go there, you pay everything, you do all the investing, you get all the, you know, you put all the money, you take all the risk, and then the Cuban government receives 50% of the profits. And it's never just 50%, it's 50% plus, plus, plus. And I could go into how that happens with everything from a lot of the hotels that are being operated there. Uh, everything that's happened there. Everything that gets in that that happens in Cuba is because of foreign investment. They pay for everything. The Cuban government takes half. Okay, great. And I guess these companies continue to do it because there's potential for for uh, you know. Well, there's got to be potential for 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 big money there if these companies keep investing, right? They there's keep be- doing it. The the yeah, but here's the risk factor. You know, we have to remember what happened uh, during the embargo. As Americans, I would never like right now. You still can, as a foreigner, buy real estate in Cuba. Um, you have to be of Cuban descent. You have to have a Cuban passport, or you, you know, you can buy with a Cuban, but it's a hundred percent in the Cuban's name. So that, to me, is a, a, b- a big risk right there. Right. Uh, and a lot of married people, people that are marrying Cubans, are doing that. But they make it very clear that if you you know, you're let's say you're a male or female marrying whatever, because I guess gay marriages are, are allowed as well now in Cuba. You, your partner is going to be the sole property owner. They make it very clear because a lot of times, you know, as we know, marriages in the U.S. is less than fifty percent. So can right. you imagine what it is there? Right. Um, so when you basically your marriage fails and you want to take back your money, good luck. The house is a hundred percent owned by the Cuban portion of that um, partnership. So anyway, while the embargo on Cuba has prevented Americans from doing business in Cuba with Cuban nationals for nearly 60 years, this new change allows us to do that. But again, one thing that is very, very new and fresh in my mind is the the uh, Four Points Sheridan that was opened up in Cuba it was the first American company that was there and actually had an American branded um, hotel 
chain. I mean, the Amelia has four or five properties in Havana alone. There's a lot of um, a lot of foreign hotel companies that have invested a lot of money in a lot of big, fancy, luxurious new hotels that are opening up. This happened all pre-embar, uh, pre-pandemic, uh, and they've gone back and now there's renovations and all this other stuff. But you got a company like the Four Point Sheridan, they open up, they spend all this money, they renovate a building, and then Trump changes the ruling or the Trump administration, and they're told they basically have to walk away from it, which they had to do. And now they said, oh, guess what? We were wrong. Now we can go back. And it's like, can you imagine the Sheridan going, what? What? It's like, I can't imagine because the political uh, landscape here in the U.S., it could change daily. Uh, so if today you're allowed to invest and tomorrow the next administration says, no, you know, we changed our mind. Why would you take a risk? And there's no guarantees. There's right. nothing. Look at the cruise uh, industry. They went in, you know, because uh, Obama said, OK, you can go and start taking passengers. But now they're being sued for using. It's a nightmare. I just can't imagine. <laughs> ever wanting to to invest in Cuba until things normalize and whatever that means. And it's, I hope it happens in my lifetime, but the way things are going, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. No. And the only last thing I want to talk about current events wise is the continued mass exodus out of Cuba. I know so many, so many people that have left. The, the bottom line is if you have any means or any access to any funds means anybody that's anybody has left Cuba. 70% of all the Cubans that have left are under the age of 40. And they're all professionals. They're all very smart people. But just the sheer lack of hope and just everything that's going on, it's just a very dismal place right now. And, uh, you know, this deep economic crisis that's going on there has caused everybody to leave and anybody else is wants to leave. And it's really, really sad. I mean, there's blackouts all over the country. Um, when I was there in the Pinar del Rio region, they would shut down the power like four times a day. And now those blackouts Jeez. have reached Havana. There is two times a day, sometimes that the power will go out. And that's that's the final place that they wanted to to affect it. And, you know, the government says it's because of, you know, infrastructure and old equipment. The reality is it's dinero, man, fluce, you know, uh, money. Um, they don't have it. Um, I know people that are not going to work there and it's not because work from home is a big thing over there. It is not, but when you <laughs> no, don't I have, imagine that. <laughs> when you don't have money to gas up your car, I mean, when I was there, you know, the seventies here in the States, we had the odd, even plates, certain days you can get gas with the gas shortages of the seventies and, yep. and other times. Well, there that's been going on for a while. And there is just no gas, no petroleum, man. It's 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 a tough place to be right now. So well, it'll let be me, interesting. Let me ask you this, because you, you mentioned uh, just briefly that you were going back this next month and you're going for the. Uh, uh, what What is it? it it's a festival. It's, it's Cohiba's 55th anniversary celebration. Go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Cohiba's birthday mm -hmm. is what you're going 55th. for. Right. 55 years old. Um, That's right. Are you last year? Like, are you expecting it to be as bad this next time uh, as as it was this this last time that you no, went? No, I no. expect it to be much 
better. Uh, the main thing that I think will change is this um, official rate of the currency changing. I think that's going to help things along. Now, keep in mind that most places in Cuba, you have to literally have a credit card, um, like a debit card type of thing where you go because they have no currency. They don't even have the currency there. So Cubans, you know, you can't, everybody has this this uh, credit card slash debit card that's tied to the US dollar, uh, fin- you know, like uh, exchange rate wise. And that's what you use. If you want to buy cigars in the cigar shop, you can't pull out dollars and you can't pull out pesos. You only can use this card. So this new change with the currency going back to it may make the current now you have to have a lot of pesos if it's if it's 100 to 1 it's a lot of uh, 110 to 1 it's it's a lot of currency you got to run around with to get you know um anything there we're talking 110 pesos anyway it's going to be crazy i'm interested to see what that's going to do um but i think everything else is coming along there's more people that are traveling there which means more um stuff you know the the restaurants hopefully will have more food there was very little of it when i was there but the main reason that i'm going other than i don't miss these habanos events uh, is i really want to gauge where we're at as you know uh, i used to do authorized uh, tobacco tours to Cuba. And even though it was very stressful and difficult, uh, I enjoyed doing it. And I had a lot of uh, folks over about a three year period that I used to do about once a month. And I loved doing it because I loved seeing people's reaction and, and love of the, the Island, the tobacco, and just seeing them see Cuba for the first time, the way I fell in love with the country the, from my first visit there. And there's a lot there. And, and people say, how can you still love going there after everything? And I, and I go, I don't know, man. I guess you could say it's an unconditional love. I just, something that just draws me there, uh, the tobacco, the country. And I'm Greek. I'm not of Cuban descent, but I just love the tie, the connection of tobacco and Cuba to me are synonymous. That's why Cuban tobacco will always have a very special place in my heart. And we'll talk about some of the reasons possibly why in the next portion of our podcast. But um, you want me to talk about the uh, Habanos event next month? Yes, absolutely. All right. This is the final thing about <laughs> this is the uh, final Cuba. thing. I think because look, here's the thing. Most of our listeners don't get to go to these things, right? We don't get to go to Cuba nearly as often as you do. So we get to live vicariously through you. So we want to know all about this event. And then when you get back, we want to know everything that you did and, and oh, boy, how that'll it went. Be interesting. All, right. Yeah. Like, we want to know all of that. Well, that's going to have to be a whole episode as, <laughs> as the last one was, because I'm sure there'll be lots to report. So for people that don't know, every year, normally there is a, an event in late February called the Havanos Festival since the year 2000. They've been having these um, week-long gatherings, and it's generally – a lot of the distributors and retailers, but also it's open to just Cuban cigar aficionados worldwide that would come to to Cuba, Havana, and and Pinar del Rio, and have a big party. There's lots of dinners. There's lots of activities. Um, they take you out to the farms. They you tour the factories. It's a nice event. Um, that happens once a year. And of course, that's where they launch all the new um, cigars that are coming the next year and all that stuff. So it's a great thing. And um, they stopped for the pandemic. Um, 2020 actually 
was the last one. I was there for 2020, and then it was like a week later when everything shut down. So we got the 2020 in, but 2021 didn't happen. 2022 didn't happen. But this is also a big uh, financial gain. You know, you're talking about 2,500 people would come to um, Habanos just uh, to Cuba just for this Habanos event. And the prices were like ridiculously, in my opinion, way overpriced for what they are. But again, if you're in the industry, it's something you did. And if you just happen to love Cuban cigars, you did it. To give you an idea, the gala event that always took place uh, the Friday evening, which kind of was the, the the last main event uh, of the week, that dinner, when they started, started about $300 a plate. And for $300, you got eh, a, a mediocre dinner, in my opinion. <laughs> But you got some cool cigars. You know, you got a cigar, uh, whether it was in a coffin case or in a small little uh, two or three pack that you got to smoke the new cigar that probably wasn't going to hit the market for over a year, the way things go on there. So it was kind of a cool little. Well, like for three hundred dollars, Nick, they could feed me a, 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 a baloney fucking sandwich as long as they gave me that cigar. Like I, I, that's worth the price of admission. Absolutely. And, and that's how it started. But it went from 300 to 400 to 500 to, in 2020, it was 700 for that dinner. $700. At $700, you're like, (laughs) you know, it's getting pretty pricey. Well, Well, how about this? They wanted to do another one this year. They couldn't do it. And so what did they do is they came up with a reason to have a small mini version of this Havanos Festival. The Havanos <laughs> Festival, they used to have an opening dinner. They had a mid-dinner. So they had a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Friday. And then on the Tuesday and Thursday, they did other things. So you had five days of events. This new festival, there's really just three little parts. The opening dinner, uh, the opening reception, whatever they call it. And then the, the gala dinner, which is on Friday. And then also for a $100 they would allow you to tour the Legito factory. The Legito factory, for people that don't know, is the factory that produces the Cohiba and the Trinidad. And it's really the only factory in Cuba that was off limits to tours and consumers and people wanting to visit there. Now, through official Habanos uh, events, or like I've toured it many times. A lot of people have toured it many, many times. It's basically a uh, huge old mansion that was reappropriated and made into this factory. It's a beautiful place. And they made a factory, a working factory out of it. Hmm. So for a hundred bucks, and that's the most reasonable of the three events. (laughs) Let me tell you what the other prices are. Oh, good Lord. So the opening night dinner, and it's probably a buffet if it's like the other ones were, is $650. So uh, $650 for the opening buffet walk around. You you do get uh, probably several. Um, You get a little gift there, a little two-pack little box with the opening. Because usually they will release more than one cigar, so they'll usually give that. So it's like a mini- you know, gala event of years past. This year, it's at the full price of a gala, but it's the opening night, which goes to say, okay, what do you think it's going to be for the gala price? <sighs> well, <laughs> folks, twelve hundred bucks. 
close. It's $1,100. Wow. It's $1,100 for the gala event. Now, the festivities this year start on September 7th. The welcome uh, reception is going to be at where they call the uh, Legito Protocol Hall. It's a venue that's been used, you know, for all the, it's, it's one of their biggest places where they can gather a lot of people and that's where they're going to have it. Uh, they've used the same place during the previous Havanos festivals. Um, and then on Wednesday, that's that's the Tuesday night. Then Wednesday the 8th, you know, they'll have tour groups that'll take you to the El Guito. Um, and then the gala, which will be at the Pabexpo Fairgrounds. And that's where they usually do all the fest, um, the conventions and stuff. It's this huge, huge hall. And they can put a lot of people in that hall. I can tell you firsthand, they've had 25 hundred people in these things and it's it's insane but it's a big a big venue uh this year i think they they had a limited amount of tickets being offered um and it's only through the distributor so it's very difficult for a consumer to try to get one of these tickets anyway if you know somebody in your local country that's a distributor i'm sure you can buy it through them if you want to spend this money you're talking about 1850 bucks for the three things that's a lot of money. That's a lot That's of money. A lot of money. How many cigars yeah. do you think you you get total? Like I know you haven't gone yet. Not we'll enough. Talk about, not, not enough. Not for eighteen hundred bucks. Not, you're not getting. Yeah, they're, you're not they're getting not a couple giving of boxes. A, 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 a uh, you know uh, Ellie Blue hum, uh, humidor with a full. No, no you're, you're not no. getting that for your for your two thousand dollars. I'm sure there'll be some special things that'll be given at this time. The main thing, of course, will be the Cohiba 55th anniversary limited edition that came out in 2021. This commemorative cigar is what this whole event is being, um, you know, made behind. It was originally and officially uh, released in May, uh, and it's being done. And I think this event is somewhat being co i think they're just basically footing the bill to be perfectly honest phoenicia trading company is the distributor of africa and the middle east and cyprus and greece and um they're one of the biggest regional distributors uh they're based in cyprus and they literally have one of the largest territories so they're pretty much hosting this event in conjunction i think with habanos Mm. um so that's what this whole event is around the 50th anniversary was a pretty big deal. It was great. They had some nice little gifts. Like I remember we had, and and I really do love this. They, they gave us a framed, um, it looks like a picture, like a large picture. And it had all the bands through the years of Cohiba in a nice matted frame. And I do love that. It's a really nice piece for people that love the Cohiba brand. Um, and it had from the original band all the way to the current band. So that was a little gift in your part of your $700 that you got along with the cigars. So I'm sure they're going to give something out to try to justify this $1,100 fee. I just think they're just trying to put money in the kitty, man. It's just, uh, they need money and this is a clear sign of it, but here's the main reason why they're doing this because I don't think they should, let's put it this way. Every November, there is a less expensive, much more reasonable party in Cuba for cigar lovers, and it's called the Partagas Festival. It's really the Amigos de Partagas. It started as a club that was an unofficial thing. This is not an official Habanos event, but it's, it was hosted by the Casa de Habanos of Partagas in Cuba, and uh, it's really some of the funnest times I've spent in Cuba hmm. is with people there. It's a great event, and I look forward to that 
more than I do the Habanos uh, Festival. The price is much more reasonable. The dinner's there about 150 to 250. Um, so much more reasonable. And you got plenty of cigars, more, I would say, in some ways than you did with the Habanos one. Um, and that always happened the week before Thanksgiving weekend. Wow. And it was always a problem for me, but I always went. I went every single year and I enjoyed it. And of course, they haven't had that in the last couple of years. And this year, everybody was looking forward to it. People had already purchased their tickets, airline tickets, I was saying, to go there and they are not going to do it. Wow. So for them not to do it, I thought for sure, you know, this was- This was going to get canceled. Here's what I think it is. It's a matter of desperation. They need this influx of dollars, but the main influx of dollars, you're saying, okay, so $1,100 times 900 people, that's a good chunk of change, but- yeah, it's you know, not enough gonna, to make a big dent on anything. But here's what they're, this is what, what happens every festival. The end of the, the festival after the dinner, the big thing that people go there is an award ceremony. And the after the award ceremony is the main auction. Now, what is the auction? The auction is kind of where they have these one-of-a-kind humidors that are made by the artisans of the island. There's generally five to seven grand humidors. You got to see these pieces of art that are made by these different people, and they're filled with cigars, special cigars, and they have an auction um, that basically um, is there to create buzz and bring in stupid money. It's almost like a payola because I can tell you in years past, the Cohiba, which is their best humidor, would get between 400 and 500,000 euros. You know, they would they would raise over a million euros every year or close to that uh, at these at these gala dinners. So mm. yeah, a million bucks. OK, uh, yeah, yeah, that'll bring and, in. That'll and all this in. money yeah. is to benefit Cuba's public health care system or that's what they say um, right now, the Cuban government. Of course, it benefits their healthcare system. They have no money for anything else. That would be the first thing that would get funded. And you know what? Their reputation, their public health care system took a real hit with this COVID thing. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, this will change it. So I'm looking forward to going. I'll be there from Tuesday, and which is the day before the festivities start, and I'll be leaving the day after. So I'm not doing any extended stay there, and uh, I'm just there for the uh, the events, and I will be there officially as a journalist covering this event for many different um, outlets, nice. including yours, James. I appreciate that, uh, and so do our listeners. I'm looking forward to, to hearing all about it. Um, it's something... I mean, if I'm being honest, Nick, it's something that I would eventually like to go to something like that, uh, yes. or even the the uh, uh, part. I would like one to see you go there. In November. No, you should go. You should go as a you know as a journalist as for a, the next festival for sure. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll make sure you get a ticket. Yeah, well, <clears throat> we'll 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 see if we can't make that happen uh, next year. Now, does this typically take place in in August or is it or September? No, no, the, the it's usually February. Obama's right? festival is usually the last week of uh, February. Every yeah, year. yeah. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Uh, I'm looking forward to finding out if, uh, well, really, I just want to know what Cuba looks like at this point. Because when you went in March, it was, you said it yourself. I'm just quoting you here. It was a shit show. Uh, and so it was. On. It was very depressing in a lot of ways. Uh, the general feeling of the people was one of 
of defeat. You know, normally what I loved about Cuba is as bad as things were economically, if you went any other time, you would think, holy shit, this place sucks. Most Americans or or people that come from non-third world type countries. Right. But they loved it. They and their their infectious happiness. You know, these people that didn't have much were generally very happy. And um, that feeling was gone. You know, I didn't get that anymore. And that was the hardest thing. You know, the the lack of hope. Um, it was just just despair. And I just it, it's sad. And I didn't like it. And I understood why everybody's leaving and the people that can't are the only ones that are there. Um, maybe they'll go back. Um, but anybody that could left the damn place. And it's sad to see because to me, it's still the birthplace of the cigar. Uh, and it is definitely uh, some very good tobacco. LH Premium Cigars deliver the bold, tangy taste found in a Cuban Puro. Handcrafted in a Costa Rican factory from the finest aged tobaccos, once the exclusive domain for the La Vida Habana cigar lounges in the Middle East and enjoyed by princes and sheiks are now available to the everyday cigar aficionado. LH Premium Cigars are blended by Nicholas Cirrus, who trained under some of Cuba's premier tobacco experts. LH Premium Cigars has a cigar for every taste profile, from the mild-bodied LH Claro to the medium-bodied LH Colorado, and for the more full-bodied cigar enthusiast, the LH Maduro. For more information about LH Premium Cigars, visit them at lhcigars.com. But we are gonna we we do want to talk about uh, why Cuban tobacco is Cuban tobacco and what sets it apart from the rest of the world. And I think, in a nutshell, besides culture, I think you could sum it up in one word, word, and that word is soil. Would you disagree, Nick? No, soil is absolutely the main main thing about it. Now, there's two main things. I mean, soil being the most important. The second is climate, but you can have similar climate. Every, you know, other areas that could be exactly the same, but it's all about the soil. Absolutely right. Right. And, and when you, when we, and I think we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but when somebody says, oh, I've got Cuban seed and it's a Cuban seed. No, no, this, this tobacco is a cute, it came from Cuban seed. All right. Well, that's not the same thing. Um, while, yeah, while considering to me, that's a pet peeve of mine when people even put it on their label, Cuban yeah. seed. The reality is every seed out there today has their origins in a Cuban seed. 100% true. Yep. So everything is Cuban seed. But you what know. sets it apart is you can take that Cuban seed and you can plant it in Nicaragua or the Dominican or Costa Rica or wherever or Honduras, wherever you want to grow your tobacco, you can plant it. But it's going to taste different from region to region to region because the soil is different. And even... From farm to farm, it can taste different. Is that true, Nick? I've heard that as well. That that's why some farms will grow just uh, uh, you know Cohiba tobacco. Some farms will grow Partagas tobacco. Is that true? From farm to farm in the different valleys in the different regions of Cuba, you'll get different uh, taste, different flavor profiles from leaves. One hundred percent true. They call it microclimates. What amazes me, it's hard to really even believe, but literally the person's farm across the street is totally different tobacco 
uh, will produce totally different tobacco. And we're not even talking different regions. And of course, I'll get into the regions and all that, but we're talking farm to farm, the tobacco changes. So these that's what they call microclimate. And so that's how specific these the soil is over there. Yes. So what sets the soil apart? What makes Cuban soil better, uh, for lack of a better word? I don't know if it's better, but sets it apart from the rest of the world, from your Nicaraguan soil, from your Honduran soil, your Peruvian soil, your Costa Rican soil. What sets this apart? What gives uh, in, what's in that soil? What, what are the characteristics that give Cuban tobacco, you know, that that twang, that that Cuban twang, for lack of a better word? Well, twang, uh, you know, I, I think, honestly, in my opinion, twang is what lacks in Cuban tobacco. It doesn't have a twang, in my opinion, I wouldn't use that term as much as it, it has. What What is it about uh, Cuban tobacco? Well, it's the distinct flavor. There is a very unique and distinct flavor. There is a difference there in their strength and character, and it makes it unmistakably distinguishable among any other tobacco. And I can tell you this firsthand because I was telling, you know, James before uh, in the green room, before we, uh, <laughs> we, before we came online and I have a good friend who's a very big cigar guy. And one of the things we've been doing for years that he likes to test me with is this little thing we call Cuban or non-Cuban and f- almost, if not, you know, two or three times a week. It was at least weekly for the last several years. He would give me the old Cuban, not a Cuban test. And I can tell you that we're talking tobaccos. He has cigars that go back 30 years to the current ones. And he's tried to trick me up every which way. And I'm not going to tell you I've been a hundred percent, but I'm in the nineties at this point because there's some stuff that he just throws some real curveballs on me. Um, but I can detect or I can taste a Cuban cigar 90% of the time. There is just something that unique about that tobacco. Um, now it helps that I also happen to know a lot about other tobaccos because as a blender, that's kind of what you learn to do to understand and distinguish the different tobaccos from the different regions. But for me, coming from a Cuban palate background. Um, that's my that's my go-to, man. That there's nothing I know more than Cuban tobacco. Uh, I love Cuban tobacco personally. Um, and I can't wait for the day when it's going to be allowed to be mixed with non-Cuban tobacco in this country. And that's what's going to make it even better. So getting back to what is it about it? Well, you know, the you know, you said twang. I would say it's a very rustic combination of flavors um what is those what are those flavors well i would say there's a real big prevalence if there's one that i can say comes to mind is earthiness very Mm. earthy a lot of terms that are also used are grass and hay notes those are distinctively very unique and that's what the distinct flavor of cuban cigars to me represent why is this so well Again, we talked about it's the climate and the soil. Cuba just has the correct amount of rainfall, uh, rainfall, uh, fall, and uh, it's this. But it's really more about the soil composition. Okay, they have the right sunshine, they got the right rain, they have the right temperatures, the right humidity. It's it's basically all the everything that could be possibly right about the tobacco is there, and they have for the most part, the right minerals 
for in the soil for the tobacco. Now, of course, that's supplemented these days with science, um, adding things that needs to be added. Um, but when you put everything together, the perfect climate and everything, the temperature, the one thing I've always remember talking to people in Cuba, they always said that Cuba was like the perfect humidor because there's a constant temperature there. I think officially it's like 77 degrees, which sounds a little high, but to me, it's really perfect. That sounds perfect. Yeah. And the humidity is just very stable and it's roughly about 79% year round, which mm. is sounds a bit high and it is for outside in, in a very hot environment. But, you know, in the 70s, it's, it's good, but it's the perfect humidor. And that's where they came up with this whole basis of the 7070 rule that cigar owners know about. And that's what they use to preserve their cigars. They try to emulate the Cuban climate. You know, that's why the 7070 came because they realized that is about the perfect 70% humidity and now, 70%. Let yeah, me let me jump in there just just real quick. Do you keep yours at 7070? Pretty much. I keep it a little bit. It depends on where you live and it depends on your humidor. Are you talking about where my LH stock in the humidor or no, like my like personal no, on, on my personal. desktop? No, you're personal. Well, in your personal, I have to keep the humidity much higher because every time you open it up and mine gets opened up often, you release a lot of the humidity, of course, everything. And then you have to start from scratch. So I like to keep it higher because ideally it's less. I don't, I don't like a very humid cigar because it's harder to keep lit. It's moist. but Generally speaking, it depends on if you have it in a, you know, hermetically sealed or even a Ziploc where you're not opening often, you know, I think, you know, 69, in my opinion. And again, it's the humidity that we can do a whole, you know, oh, we can do a whole show on it. Yeah, I was just wondering where you if, were at. If you are, are <laughs> aging a cigar, um, you would keep it at a different, uh, you know, humidity level and temperature yeah. for that matter. And again, that also is adjusted for, it's a sliding scale. So the more the temperature uh, is higher, the less humidity. So if instead of, if you use that 70-70 rule and in your humidor, the temperature is 75, then you definitely don't want to have your humidity at 70. Right. You want to lower it to 65 to adjust for that, you know, the, the, uh, the heat. Because yeah. um, if it was really hot and really humid, that's uh, a recipe for destruction. Yeah, Maybe. you're gonna get all. You're gonna get some mold. Absolutely, some, you, you some, don't want to have it. No. And anything over 80, 90 gets in, in in any length. I don't care how many times your tobacco has been frozen at the factory. Yeah, you're um, gonna get beetles. Yeah. You're gonna get beetles because they're microscopic eggs. That if you just, you know, basically you know, heat this to the same level for a long period of time, it's, they're going to grow and they're going to hatch and you're going to get beetles. I don't care who, yeah. what it is. So thankfully I've not, uh, neither of those things have been an issue, but I keep my Cubans. I have mm. three, I have three different wine doors. Yeah. Uh, so my commie door is what I call it. Uh, where my mm. humans are, I keep them at 62, 65 degrees, 62 uh, humidity. And for me, that seems to cut down on a lot of construction issues. Yeah, that's that you're absolutely right because there are construction issues and and the more humidity you have in a cigar, the more the tobacco expands, it would make it more difficult to draw. So yeah, that's uh it that probably works well yeah. for you. And also it helps in the aging process and as we know, Cuban cigars 
can definitely, all cigars can benefit from a little bit of aging. Uh, Cuban cigars, in my opinion, much more than others. Now, another question I wanted to ask, Nick, because we're, we're, we're talking about the differences between a wine and the soil. I've always heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I probably am, but I've always heard that if you smoke a cigar and the ash is white, it means that there were no minerals in the soil or very few minerals. Like it had basically been stripped. But if, no, if it's no, no, black, if the, if the ash is black, then the, there's a, you know, a lot of minerals in it. That's not, that's not true. That's a, that's false. No, there's specific, there's specific um, minerals that give it that color. So yes, okay. or, um, like the blacker, the magnesium, um, there's different in Cuban tobacco, there's a lot of nickel in the tobacco, which I think is why it gives it like I had I had a conversation with uh, with Jim Robinson, my collaborator on the Nick and Jim and also my good friend. And he was smoking a Nick and Jim the other day. And he said, you know, Nick, this tobacco has a perfect white ash. How can we make sure that every cigar we make has that perfect white <laughs> ash? I go, it's not possible. You know, I mean, we, I, I don't. You know, I don't select tobaccos based on if it's going to produce a white ash or a black ash, depending on where it comes from, what soil it, the soil is what's going to dictate uh, that that uh, color of the ash. So, no, the fact that it's white doesn't mean it has less minerals. It just has different minerals. All right. That's that's the thing. Now, the soil, again, this is what we're talking about is the soil. Now, the soil, most of the soil in the Caribbean in general it was pushed up by the seafloor because of volcanic eruptions, tectonic collisions. You know, this happens everywhere. But the difference there is that this soil is very loose, sandy, granular. Um, honestly, it's very uh, inhospitable for most plants or, or crops, but it is ideal for tobacco. The soil in Cuba's primary growing regions has the consistency of this pulverized rock with unusually high levels of iron quartz and clay. So that is what gives it the whitish uh, color. The soil in Cuba is very, very high in iron and the uh, high iron contact. Uh, some people claim is the reason why Cuban cigars seem to have a much stronger aroma. Um, I find that it's a stronger aroma when they're not lit. I, I love the, I personally like that aroma, but there's one thing I will say about Cuban cigars. When you open up a box of Cuban cigars, that aroma, that whiff of, of, of aroma that comes off of that box generally is much, much stronger than a non-Cuban box. Now, non-Cuban boxes are generally, you know, in, in cellophane and there's other reasons, but even without the cellophane, there's just, just a larger stronger aroma that comes off now what would you um, describe that aroma as if you were gonna give it a name what would you um, what, would, what would you what would you say it smells like that aroma coming off of a cuban box uh probably hey you know okay. earthy that's that it just to me it reminds me of being out in the farm in cuba because it's farm, a very yeah. earthy it's, you know, it's, it's a very barnyard. farm yeah barnyard is, is a good term for it too yeah yeah you know it always Some reminds me. Say manure. Yeah, it <laughs> you know? smells like a zoo. It's not a yeah. that's not a bad thing. I'm not, not saying for that. Not me anyway. Stinks. I love no, that smell. I love that smell. Yeah. I, every time it doesn't matter if it's Cuban or non-Cuban, Nick. But if I open up a box and I get that smell in, like if it's because it comes off strong on Cuban cigars. So you're absolutely right. But if I get that on a non-Cuban, I, I know that I'm in for probably a very good cigar. Yeah. 
I, I, I agree. You know, and I, a lot of people, like I said, attribute that to the, you know, the high nickel content that's in the soil because you don't find a lot of nickel content in, in the other, other countries. You find potassium and magnesium and a whole bunch of other stuff. And if it's not there, it's added because it makes for good tobacco. Right. But the the nickel is not something that I've ever heard anybody adding, um, but it's definitely there in the Cuban soil. Um, now, we're talking very general but let me. This this uh, podcast wouldn't would be uh, remiss if we didn't talk about Cuba's regions. There's, but people say five regions. I only really think there's four different growing regions. Everything is devoted to one region. But I want to at least touch briefly on the topology, uh, topography. I'm sorry of 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 the different tobacco uh, soil in in the region. Um, now. There's basically, like I said, four regions. The four regions are the Vuelto Arriba, which means up, the Partido, and the Semi Vuelta, and the Vuelta Abajo. Vuelta Abajo is where everybody knows. That's the Pinar del Rio region. That's where these, and again, we talked about the microclimates. That's where it's all happening. That's where the best leaves uh, come from, the Vuelta Baja region. And that's a providence of the Pinar del Rio. And no matter if you're a Cuban fan or not a Cuban fan, people will say that that region cultivates some of the finest tobaccos in the world because of this perfect combination of climate and soil that is attempted to be reproduced everywhere. I mean, that's when, you know, that's where cube, that's where cigars were originally, um, you know, created, born, and they took that after the embargo and everything else, and they started going to other parts of the world. Dominican was the first stop, and obviously now we've come with Nicaragua as being the, the next best um, soil. And again, totally different soil. Nicaragua, high volcanic um, because the island, I mean, the country is very, uh, very volcanic and the soil has a lot of minerals that because of that volcanic soil. Um, so it needs to be cultivated differently. It needs to be fermented much longer um, because there's more soil. Now, the reason for these micro climates, and I've heard from a lot of these uh, scientists uh, in Cuba that have told me, like, why? I've asked this exact question. And they say that the volcanoes that, uh, I mean, because the Vuelta Bajo region is a big valley. And so you're going, okay, well, the valley, but it's not like at the base of a volcano. So where are all these minerals coming from? And where is this? Why is this soil so good? And it was explained to me that the volcanoes are basically in Mexico and the soil, uh, you know, the, the soil and, and the drainage, it basically funnels through and it's so finite and just goes in that one little area in the southwest part of Cuba. And it just runs down that little section the, you know, it's like almost like an underground stream of soil, water, whatever that filters out from Mexico that gives that area that particular, you know, unique tobacco, um, you know, huh. it is the best area. And even there, of course, they say that even less than a quarter of that area actually is used for the or or establishes their known prerequisite for producing these tobaccos that they want. Um, there are other areas in Volta Bajo, you have the province of Pinar del Rio, and there's a lot of different areas. There's some big plantations there um, that are known 
and majority of the rappers come from the Vuelta Bajo. But even outside, there's the two most famous towns of the Vuelta Bajo region. One is the town of San Luis. It's kind of smack in the middle of the Vuelta Bajo region. And um, they're the famous, there's a bunch of famous um, uh, farms that people will not know about. But the one that people will know about is the Robina farm is located in San Luis. Um, you have the Barbacoa, you have the the uh, Vega del Corojo, uh, the Chuchilas, but the Robina farm has gotten to be the famous farm there. Yeah. And then the other major it's major. They're little villages. Um, <laughs> San, San Juan y Martinez is the other little town. And they are famous with a very special reputation for um, the good leaves there for um, that are used for binder. And they have the famous Hoya de Monterey plantation. And the one of late that's been famous is um, Luis Prioto. Um, his Hector Luis Prioto's farm, he's located in San Juan and Martinez, and he's kind of become the new um, directed to farm by Habanos. Mm. So that's Vuelta Bajo. Now, the semi-Vuelta region, that's kind of situated between Havana and the Vuelta Bajo, and they specialize primarily in wrappers and some of the other inserts. Um, the cultivation area is very small. And it's only like 1% of that area that's used for the production of cigars. And uh, predominantly, most of the tobacco grown here is for other purposes. Um, but the soil is suitable for plant nurseries. And then they take that and they plant it in the, in the, real, in the real soil, so to speak, because everything comes out, starts out as a, as a seedling. And that's well, we can talk about another time. Right. Um, the Pardido region is another um, smaller growing area that was founded in the 17th century. Um, then, believe it or not, there's areas outside of Havana that has some growing regions very close. Um, and some of these big uh, co-ops exist around there. Uh, and then the Vuelta Riba region Um they have some big areas there. And inside there, you have uh, the Remedios area. Uh, and again, a lot of these other tobaccos, you know, they they, they do make a lot of machine-made cigars. And, and the soil in the uh, Remedios area is used in the Jose Piedra cigars predominantly. That's a, a machine-made cigar, but it's actually very good. Um, the soil and climate there gives it a very specific characteristic. And uh, also the cultivation methods um, are different the same, but it's all about the soil. And then the Oriente region, uh, which is in the easternmost part of the region, that's the area where Columbus first set foot in Cuba. And um, tobacco was grown from, you know, back then, 1492. Um, but tobacco is still grown today. Um, but it's not really the, the tobacco of that area is not really used uh, for the production of uh Habano cigars, but those are the four areas of Cuba, different tobaccos. But again, it's all about the Vuelta Bajo region. Um, everything is based in the Vuelta Bajo region. The what they Habanos has this thing there. It's this little scientific. Uh, they call it the experimentation station, and that's where they're constantly working on hybrids and cultivating different um, seeds, which you know, is used not only in Cuban cigars, but then everybody steals those cigars, including myself. And we use them <laughs> in our own tobaccos because you know what they, one thing Cuba has is a 
abundance of people, of smart people that uh, they can put to work on doing all kinds of things. And one of the things they work on is creating these new hybrid seeds. And uh, yeah, I mean, somebody I, is. And I want to talk, right? And I want to talk about that uh, real quick because you've said a couple times. Now, you've used the word scientist. And I mm. don't think that people really understand that there are scientists in Cuba that are are dedicated to just the soil and to just the the tobacco because when you think of cuba i mean you typically think of a third world country and and is all of this stuff really going on but tobacco is big business for them it makes them a lot of money we've talked about that quite a bit even in just this episode so could, could you speak to that a little bit and talk about uh, maybe a little bit of the process because like you just said you said at least somebody is Right. So you alluded to nobody else is really doing hybrid seeds or any of this other thing. And the, the as last, far as I know, the yeah. last the last company I could think of that even did try to do anything remotely different was uh, Agonorsa leaf, uh, where they put out they had a Maduro leaf that they'd been working on for years. Um, but nobody else has really done anything, you know, groundbreaking or different. But Cuba still working with seeds and doing uh hybrids talk about that for a little bit and the science behind it yeah um there's a lot of science behind it and i'll be honest i i'm not that i mean i've read a lot of textbooks where there's a lot of stuff i mean it's it's a science and science has never been one of my one of my fortes <laughs> I can barely that's why it. that's why i never became a doctor like my dad wanted me to be <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but but you know there's basically the effect of certain fertilizers and um you know the soil micronutrients that are other there's a big science to it and that's what's made tobacco so much better worldwide but a lot of it starts here i can speak to one thing that i just thought of um there was a thing that happened i don't know Less than 10 years ago, I forgot what year it was, like 2011, maybe there was a thing out there, and I'm sure maybe you've heard of this, um, James, it's called Mediotampo leaf. Oh, yeah. And it was a new term. To me, it's kind of like, it's again, somewhat marketing in my opinion. It's a real thing. Don't get me wrong. So yeah, what the, the, medio, the top leaf, right? It's the very top, it's the, tippy it's top. The, yeah, it's the leaf of the leaf, less yeah. than 10% of the plants. All tobacco plants, the top of the, the the plant is where the lijero leaves come from, the ones with all the flavor, the corona leaves on the top. But then there's certain certain plants that will produce another another leaf on top of it. And they and they dub this leaf the medio temple. And this is the most flavorful of the flavorful tobacco. And they decided to use this leaf in only one cigar because there's not enough produced. And that's what gave supposedly the mystique of the Cohiba Bejique. So I've heard since then, you know, and, and again, when they first was released, the Bejique was very good and not as crazy uh, expensive. But then I think what happened and I, is they, they ran out of this, you know, this Medio Temple leaf, this real Medio Temple leaf. So they started producing it without this leaf. And of course the blend is going to change. And I think they got kind of called out on it. So they, you know, kind of pulled back the production of actual real Bahikes. And um, now they're like all Cohibas or Trinidad's are, are impossible to get. Right. And you're going to pay three to five times more than what you were used to paying. And that's why everything's going to Asia and, and 
they want to make Cohiba the uh, the Burka bag right. of uh, <laughs> right. this, this brand is going to be the yeah. reg- you know who would pay twenty thousand dollars for a pocketbook? Mm-hmm. Uh, some there people are, that have yeah, money. Some people, that's and right. That's, and the same thing is going to be of Cohiba. Some people that just the money's no object and want it, again. It's a marketing. It's a labeling. Okay, but as much marketing as there is, because I I think. We would all agree that like what Cohiba or what Cohiba, what Cuban cigars are doing, Habanos SA, like they are mm. taking advantage of a situation with with Asia where the Asian market is going to do this and it's all marketing and they're trying to turn it, like you said, in this Birkenbag. But for all the marketing and the smoke and mirrors, I mean, and that is ubiquitous across the industry. Habanos, mm. not, uh, you know, New World, they both do it. It's it's all smoke and mirrors and it's a lot. It's a lot of um, uh, marketing. But for all the marketing that they do, they put a lot of time and effort into the research and development aspect as well, which I don't think I can't speak for every company, obviously, but I don't think there's a whole lot of new world companies doing that. Right. Well, you know, there there's a lot of universities that are doing it. I don't know who's taking advantage of this, uh, whether it's the big companies, but there's a lot of, you know, um, colleges that have agricultural or, or, you know, departments. And there are some that are experts in the tobacco genetics and and breeding and production that this is what they do. Um, But the main reasons of why they do what they do is to develop, you know, the most important thing is, you know, disease or pest resistant varietals. Um, But they do that also for cigarette tobaccos. You know, they use it in the burleys and the dark tobaccos. Um, And then, of course, they do it in the negro tobacco of uh, of uh, cigars. So there are experts out there, but I don't know who's taking advantage of it. We're talking about American or non-Cuban, but there are sure they sure have a lot in Cuba that are devoted to this type of uh, science out there. And there's I've read science papers on it and the different, you know, uh, elements and, you know, minerals that are in there and the, the makeup. And, and this is what's great about science is because you can add basically what is missing for the most part. And that's why there's so many other countries now that, uh, the, you know, the soil chemical properties are, are being able to be adjusted to produce um, decent tobacco for premium cigars, their methods and the materials that they're using. I, I don't know much about, you know, that's kind of an area that I don't want to even attempt to explain uh, my expertise in that level because it's not there. It's really not there. It's something that's fascinating, but for me, to be honest, not that fascinating because that's why I never bothered to, <laughs> right. to learn, you know, about the, you know, component yeah. analysis and, and all this stuff. I mean, it's, you know, it's literally, you know, uh, you know, science formulas. And but that's think, where I start going, eh, okay, too much for me. Could, could somebody in the new world figure out how to recreate the same conditions out of Cuba and essentially come out with a non-Cuban Cuban cigar. Like is, no, is the they, science there? Tried. No, no, yeah. no, here, here's the reason. Here's the reason. There's a lot of things and they've tried to do that exact thing. The Chinese have been one that have tried to do this. <laughs> you know, they say, look, we can reproduce this and we can reproduce the, we can take the literal, the same soil and bring it to, but they can't. There's another thing no. that happens. Um, again, it's, it's just, it's the perfect mix of everything. 
the the climate is just as important if you have you could have the perfect soil but if you don't have the perfect climate you're not going to produce the same type of cigars there's something that happens there that it's it's just the stressing of the plants like in the morning it's very cold and by the night or vice versa you know when the sun comes out it's hot but at night it gets cold so what happens these plants start to get stress and the more stress in the plant it produces more nutrients that are getting injected from that are being pulled out of the soil and injected into the plant because they're they're keeping it and they want to make sure they survive so it's a survival thing so if you put it in a laboratory you don't have that that uh, that stressing period and what needs to happen to make the tobacco so perfect so you can't produce this in a in a, in a laboratory you can try to reproduce uh, you know the, what happens in but it, it's just never the same there's a soil science that is there um that uh thankfully there and i think in general you know tobacco there's something magical about this leaf and they were actually talking about using the tobacco leaf in some of the cures for the covid and stuff i heard but i mm-hmm. think there's something magical about this leaf that's been around since the beginning of time and i think who knows what more can happen from a tobacco leaf as negative as a lot of people in the world treat tobacco and how bad it is um you know i don't know if it's so bad you know i really don't you know there's something there you know and again it's all about the ph um and having the the appropriate ph levels and uh keeping it as neutral as possible and and um you know that's what it's all about you know the the soil ph um, that's about as technical as I want to get, you know, um, <laughs> right. because I don't want to embarrass myself beyond that. I don't know anything. That, more I'm used that. to embarrassing myself you on know, this program, so it's fine. I can, I can there embarrass are people myself all day. in this industry that are much, much more knowledgeable. And, and one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't get to spend more time with, uh, one of the experts and, um, uh, Arsenio, who uh, spent his whole life in Cuba uh, in the production of tobacco. And then um, Carlos Fernandez took him over to what is now Arganosa, Arganosa, Casa Fernandez. And he was there. And when I met that man, I knew that just being next to him by sheer osmosis, I had to pick up information from this guy because he was just chock full of it. He did give me a lot of great recommendations and ideas of what books to read. And and I pledged that I wanted to come over there and, and work with him. And he said, anytime. And we just hit it off. And man, that man um, left us and with a lot of knowledge. And um, there's not as many of those guys around anymore, man. And, you know, the Alejandro Robinos of the world and the Arsenios, but he was truly, truly a tobacco man in all sense. His whole life was devoted to tobacco. And, um, you know, we need more people like him out there yeah. that are going to push push that envelope. I, I, I agree. Like I said, one of the only companies that I can think of that have done anything different or tried anything different was Aganorsa. Uh, I Specifically, this, it was a Maduro leaf that I think he had said. If I remember what Terrence had said. It, it had been in the making for 20 years. Um, and, and that had to be all Arsenio. I mean, I've always said that if I if I didn't have my own factory where I'm producing my cigars now, if there was one factory I wanted to work with was Aganorsa because of Arsenio. And yeah. I hope it continues. Um, it'll take it's kind of like, you know, when Steve Jobs 
left Apple. People thought Apple was going to go down the drain and obviously it didn't, but you know, the, the amount of stuff that Steve jobs and uh, you know, had in the pike was good for the five or six years anyway. And I think uh, that it's obviously continuing and it's too large to fail at this point. I think uh, anything's possible, but I, Agonorsa has enough information and there was enough people that studied under our, uh, Arsenio that I think they'll continue to do well for many years. Yeah. Or stay and, I on think, top. and I think like you said earlier, I think if or when Cuba opens up uh, and, and you start to see Cuban leaf in some non- I've done it myself. I've worked with it. I think to me, that's how you can get the best tobacco and the best cigars. I mean, it's like to, to be able to mix, to have a hybrid of a Cuban with a non-Cuban man, that's the best of both worlds. Nick, I know we're getting away from the soil and stuff, but if that happens, do you see that as the death of a Cuban Puro? Do you think that the Cuban cigar as we known it or as, or as, as we have known it will go away? If Cuba opens up, like that's it. Like it's it's gonna be bought up by large corporations and the tobacco sold off. No, you, no, 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 no. There's not so. enough. No, no. There's not enough tobacco for them to, you know, to to, to really the, the tobacco that they currently sell is not their their good stuff, of course. And they'll it'll be unfortunately, it's going to be a marketing gimmick when we are allowed as Americans to purchase Cuban tobacco and Cuban cigars. It'll be a marketing bullshit. It'll it'll they'll be like, oh, oh, you know, this has you know this much more marketing from bullshit. Cuban. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's going to be marketing bullshit, <laughs> but um, I think there's some truth to it. And you know, it, the Cuban poor, as we know, there's just not enough tobacco being produced. If they can raise the numbers correctly, you know, and and get the soil better and and the production better, yeah, you know, it's possible, but. The puro, there's something about a, a a puro, and there's something about the the combination of the leaves. The only country today that makes, in my opinion, a good puro, other than Cuba, and and that's you know, that's definitely debatable. But Nicaragua mm-hmm. and, and Nicaragua, because you know, th- we talked about the different growing regions of Cuba. Well, the different growing regions in Nicaragua they're on a whole different level because they are very, very different. So you can make some really amazing Nicaraguan puros. Um, I haven't done so. Um, if I was based in Nicaragua, I would, um, you know, because in Costa Rica where my, my cigars are made, we have to import. The sad thing is, you know, Costa Rica does produce tobacco, but I have yet to be able to, to work. I'm not saying there's not any good, you know, Costa Rican tobacco, but I haven't been able to get a good blend personally uh, with using uh, Costa Rican tobacco, but there are companies that do. Well, let's, let, let, let's talk about that real quick um, because I, I've heard that the, the Cuban, um, <clears throat> uh, the, the powers that be have not taken care of their soil very well in Cuba. Uh, and you, you can contrast that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and you can contrast that to what Nicaragua does with their soil. And they, I, it seems like they take very good care of their soil and even Costa Rica and some of the other ones. Uh, can you speak to that? Does do the Cuban uh, farmers and then obviously Habano SA and, and it, the communist party, did they take care of that soil or have they stripped it of everything and they're not, you know, rotating their crops and all of that stuff? Like what, what do you know about that? Well, I know that, yes, it's been neglected. It's been um, screwed up over the years. 
the beauty of it is it can bounce back and it has bounced back. There was a period of time when, uh, you know, the natural fertilizer, you know, manure or whatever, there's never enough of. So, of course, you use, you know, the scientific, you know, fertilizer of putting certain nutrients back into the soil. Well, during this special period and now is also... There's reasons why they've trying to combat that now, but let's talk about the 90s. There sure. was a time that previous even to that, that Russia started producing and, and giving the Cuban government petroleum-based um, fertilizer, and oh, that Jesus. really killed yeah. the tobacco. So for oh, wow. it took many, many years for that stuff to just basically filter out because it it totally screwed it up. So yeah, did they, they harm it? They did. Um, and then listen, the whole reason Habanos was created was because Cuba didn't have the money to buy the fertilizer in order to produce their famous Cuban tobacco. So at the time, Altitis said, listen, man, we need more cigars. We need to sell this. And they're like, well, we don't have the, the, the fertilizer. So Altitis said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to buy the fertilizer for you because they didn't want to just give them the money. I don't wonder why. <laughs> wonder so why. they started buying the fertilizer and shipping it. And in return for credits towards purchases. And that was the beginning of what happened, what, what, what became Habanos. Habanos is a co-op between Altitis at the time. Now it's owned, you know, then it was owned by Imperial and now it's owned by the the Chinese um, group that we don't know who the owners technically are. It's basically a, a group that was put together that purchased the 50% interest of Habanos, um, which was, and they still operate as Altitis and, you know, they haven't made any changes or many changes to date. I think some are down the, well, the one big change is the prices and yeah. that's definitely, oh, it has to come from there. I, I mean, they don't say that officially but i have to believe that that's the reason part of the reason for the change and the focus on asia and asian prices but um so they started producing giving them the tobacco um i mean giving them the fertilizer to produce the tobacco so yes as far as the farmers um i can tell you one of the reasons for the shortage of tobacco is because when the government is not paying the farmers for their tobacco they're saying screw it and they're planting corn or something else that they can eat. Well, like, listen, we can't eat tobacco leaves. And since we're not getting paid for it, they started growing other things. Um, but now one of the big changes that happened that I learned out back in, in March is they, the amount of money that they're paying these farmers uh, is about five times what they normally used to get. So right. all of a sudden they're like, all right, if you're going to pay us that kind of money, we'll start you know, planting more um, tobacco. And that's basically what's been happening. And there is money there now um, from the, not the Cuba tobacco part, but from the outsiders part right. that is investing in, in the stuff. And I think, um, yeah, there's been damage to the soil over the years, but um, the biggest problem with Cuban cigars today is not as much the soil is as much the financial aspect of, how you pay your rollers and your employees and the, hey, listen, the quality control there is something that desperately needs to be improved. They know it. They don't. They're trying to address it. How, but, but do you know to, how they're trying to address it? 
Yeah, well, they just but they, they just is it got just, a new a new guy that's the head of it. Uh, they've you know that was more symbolic than anything so else. So it's lip service, uh, somewhat. Yeah, the, my 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 thing is that I th- they have to change the whole economics of Cuba and how they pay people in order for them to really address. It comes down to dollars, man. It comes down yeah. to people's personal. Uh, ethics about how they work. And there's a lot of people there that I'm not trying to take away that there are very good people there working, but when you're not getting paid for your work, um, it, it tends to breed people saying, look, I just, it's a job. I'm just getting paid what I need to get paid. And they realize that they're not being paid what they're supposed to be paid. And, and it, it, uh, it shows it in the uh, quality control that's there. They're just throwing them numbers out and they're not, they're not watching it. And uh, they, they know that look, you, you know, they know that this is going on and they still can't fix it. So the problem is so deep that it's going to take a lot to, to change. And that's going to be once they do that, um, it'll be a different product. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the soil is still fantastic. It's it's a unique place on Earth and and uh, with proper science and the proper conditions that exist there. And then the way that they're rolled properly, then you can have, you know, they're still Cuban to tobacco and cuban cigars are some of the finest in the world i really do believe that when you get a good one no i i 100 agree uh and it's gonna be interesting uh nick is going down uh this next month uh, in the month of uh like i time travels hard folks but he's going down in september uh to the cohiba 55th uh anniversary the 55th birthday of cohiba so he'll come back well, technically it was last year 55th was well, last year but 56 this is the celebration <laughs> yeah right. It's like a belated birthday party. Uh, you're going to go up and down and you're going to uh, hang out and you're going as media, uh, not necessarily for us. You're going for a lot of different outlets, but you said you yes. would come back and you will talk about it with to us uh, and yes. give us the lowdown. And uh, we'll see if Cuba has improved in the last uh, six, seven months since you've been there. Yes, it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> it sounds like you're looking forward to it. I mean, it really does. It sounds like you're like like crossing your fingers. Like I'm hoping. Yeah, it's I am. I'm hoping for the best. Um, you know, but I'm expecting the worst. You know, a no. I'm not expecting the worst. I'm expecting a small um, increase or or improvement. Uh, a small improvement's it, better than it's no. Better improvement. than nothing. You're right. No, I mean we've turned the corner. I said that back in March. They've definitely turned the corner. Um, Rock bottom has definitely been reached, so it's one <laughs> way to go, go from here, folks. <laughs> so you, so hopefully it'll the, it'll uh, get better. That that's the advantage of hitting rock bottom, uh, Nick. Is that's that you've right. got yeah. nowhere else to go but up. Nowhere else to go. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Nick Sears, LH Cigars uh, blender owner uh, and Cuban expert. Thank you so much. We are looking forward to talking to you again next month. Uh, we'll get back on track with this Cuban series and we'll find out uh, everything there is to know about Cuba as it is now. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. I know you're looking forward to that. And I hope all of our listeners are looking forward to that. Nick Sears, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Join us next time where we talk about Cuba uh, again. Um, uh, but uh, before that, I'll have Rick Rodriguez on and his daughter, Sarah Rodriguez, and we will talk all things West Tampa tobacco. Uh, and that should be a good time. So look forward to that. Until then, folks, thank you for listening. Stay smoky. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Visit simplystogies.com for the latest articles and reviews. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for the latest in video content. And please rate and review Simply Stogies on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies. If you have a question or suggestion for James or would like to be on the show, please send an email to info at simplystogies.com. 